everybody, uh, and welcome to the second in this new series of Guy Schlick Biomaterials podcasts. And I'm joined today by Dr. Militia Chotai, who is the principal dentist here at Newnham Dental in Eli. Militia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. Um, Militia has a special interest in dental implantology and is an honorary lecturer at the University of Bristol for the MSc programme in implantology. And it's really this topic of implantology and guided bone regeneration that we're talking about today. So the specific topic is getting to grips with the basics of guided bone regeneration. And we couldn't have anybody better to discuss it. <laughs> so, Militia, we'll go straight into the questions if that's okay. Yeah. So, what would you say are the essential surgical skills that you'd need to master before you start to think about placing implants and doing GBR? So I think um, before the surgery, I think um, the, the, it's really, really important to have a sound understanding of dentistry because implantology is a part of general dentistry and extension. Uh, so you really need to have a, a bit of experience working with general dentistry. You need to be able to diagnose periodontal conditions because this is something that influences your outcomes after implant treatment. Uh, you also need to have the ability to look at the mouth as a whole rather than just a site-specific assessment uh, because there are factors in the mouth that will uh, influence your treatment outcomes. Um, when it comes to surgery, uh, you should ideally know how to raise a flap. Um, there, there, is no, um, there is no shortcut to good results. You need to be able to raise a flap, be able to suture it properly, need to be able to assess how bone biology works. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a um, you know, 360 degree perspective. Really. Sure, sure, great. Um, could you talk us through your typical placement protocol? For example, do you favor immediates or a delayed approach? Um, and what's the rationale behind your approach? So I, I don't tend to favour the immediate uh, placements and the simple reason is that it's, um, it's not easy to control all the factors that can result in complications and um, so what we know is that we will have remodelling of the bone after extractions and this remodelling will be um, more extensive where we have less bone which is usually anteriorly. Uh, immediate placements are usually favoured anteriorly, so you're just adding more difficulty to your case um, when you are extracting a tooth and putting an implant in. The other problem is that you, you don't get to review your patient, so when you extract a, a tooth, it's really nice to see how the patient heals. It's also nice to see how a patient heals after implant surgery, so you're losing all those extra uh, appointments that can actually make your result really good in the end. Um, so I tend to favour early loading um, and the benefits of early loading is that you wait for the soft tissues to have healed and you will still have a defect uh, at the implant, proposed implant site but that's easily grafted at the time of placement so everything is very much more controlled and I think every time I explain the differences to patients I haven't had one single patient who says I can't wait a month. I was, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, yes, I completely understand the biological reasons behind waiting, but do you ever have pressure from your patients? I, I think um, because I explain it the way I've just explained it, and I say, look, would you, would you want this done straight away and then we take chances? Or would you rather, you know, this is an aesthetic case, you're going to see it and hopefully it will last a very long time. 
would you not rather want it to be as predictable as possible? And if they are very concerned about you know being without a tooth there, uh, a Maryland bridge or you know an Essex retainer usually is fine. It's it's a bit of discomfort for long term gain, I think. Sure. So it's yeah, absolutely. The way you explain it to the patient. It doesn't have to be immediate. Don't take the, the, the risk. Yeah. Um, and there's no compromise on the aesthetics. No. Fantastic. Um, what in your experience are the main clinical challenges that you face with implant placement and guided bone regeneration? So um, if you plan your surgery well, um, GBR is pretty much the same for everyone. It's the same protocol. It, what changes is the site and the type of patient you're seeing. So I don't find that I have challenges with the GBR. The challenges come with the, who you're working with, really. Um, and whether you're placing multiple implants, whether the bone defect is you know, quite extensive. So I think if you control your patient, everything becomes quite easy and straightforward. And if you plan your surgery in advance as well, um, and you know where you're going to raise your flap, um, you know how the defect is going to look by really assessing your CT scan, um, it should be quite straightforward. So the behaviour of the bone and the tissue is predictable, but yes. the behaviour of the patient? Sometimes not. <laughs> it is, I mean, this is the thing, it's, it's so important then to just do a thorough assessment and really probe, and you know, you, you can easily tell uh, from your own patients, but they, uh, the complexity is usually referred cases because you don't know those patients in the same way. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think, um, you know, you have to know if they're anxious or not before you start. And you also need to know their, how well they will cooperate with you. Can they open their mouth, for example? Things, simple things like that can make a very easy surgery very complicated. So much more about the human factors yeah. than, than just the surgical approach. Exactly. Sure. Um, Sticking with the surgical approach, that said, um, what is your approach to, um, to grafting? So, for example, what percentage of implant cases would you uh, typically graft? So, um, I probably graft around 70% of my implant cases. Um, in the anterior region, I probably graft almost 100%. Um, the reason, again, is that grafting is very predictable. And also, we know that there is always a little bit of deficient bone in the anterior region. Um, I always use full thickness flaps because you, because you have better blood supply as well. Um, and um, yeah, 50-50 autogenous bone and um, particulate graft. That's interesting. What, what do you think that that gives you? Is that something that you've, you've, you've learned or you've read in a study or just from your own per personal experience? So it's all three. Um, so we know that uh, whatever, you know, stenograft or whatever I use, it's not going to be osteoinductive. Um, so we do need something there to hold the scaffold um, while the bone is forming. Um, so we need a material that will last longer. Um, we also need um, something that's um, that's going to promote vascularization inside of the graft. So that's why you need 50-50. Uh, is it always 50-50? Well, it depends on the site. Uh, it's not always easy to obtain uh, autogenous bone. I used to really struggle with that, um, but I use the um, Micros bone scraper now, so that's, sure, that's sure. really good, yeah. So that's actually made life easier <laughs> yeah, in terms of yeah, access. Yes, yeah, because you know when you use a normal bone scraper, patients used to cringe 
uh, is hard because the instrument is quite large. So in small defects, it's, it's quite difficult to access. So yeah, it's, it's changed my GBR, I have to say, actually. Wow, that's really, that's yeah. great to hear. And I don't say that because you're from Christchurch. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to, of course. <laughs> and so you would graft up to 70% of your implant cases, Probably, virtually yes. every case in the aesthetic zone. Yeah. Um, is, is that what you've always done or have you uh, occasionally not grafted and, and, and regretted doing so, not doing so? No, so I assess the bone, uh, well, once I place the implant, I will assess the bone well and I will um, measure it and see is there enough, is there more than two millimeter bone buccally to the implant? It's very rare to have more than two millimeter bone in the anterior region uh, and there is no harm in grafting so that's why I tend to do it. I've never had any graft exposures or problems with grafting so because it's a predictable option why not? Uh, posterior implants are different because sometimes grafting can be complicated especially if it's close to the mental nerve and axis again um, so uh, in that case unless I really need to I don't really do it uh, then we obviously have uh, the um, upper maxilla uh, posterior maxilla and um, I would say that in the posterior maxilla if the patient is quite concerned about the aesthetics then I would graft there if they are not then you I would usually favor slightly palatal placement um, and the crown would either be ridge left or a patient would accept a slightly palatally placed crown. Sure. In terms of the materials that you use for your cases, Militia, do you have, um, well, what, what particularly informs the decisions in terms of what you use? So, um, for me, it's really important that um, it's a material that is backed up by studies um, and also something that works well in my hands. I have I've tried different materials, but I, I always come back to the same material also because um, I've never had any issues with grafting. So there's no real reason to change. Um, I don't go for permanent membranes, for example, and the reason for that is that you have a higher risk of exposures. Um, and unless you're grafting a lot, you don't really need the stability of permanent membranes. Uh, so I do, I do go for um, normal collagen membranes that are non-cross-linked and they're more biocompatible as well. Um, when it comes to the material, I like to use something that, again, is going to be porous, uh, and allow for ingrowth of vessels. Sure. And when it comes to uh, more complex defects, more complicated, maybe vertical and horizontal uh, bone defects, how do you advance into treating those sorts of cases? So I think with implantology, my journey was quite long. Um, and um, I, I like to just do things in steps. So I think grafting can be quite complicated if your implant implant placement is complicated so because you get tired. So uh, unless uh, you are at the stage where you are placing an implant, uh, which is pretty much effortless in the right position, and then being able to graft a small defect like a fenestration without much of a hassle and you, don't, you know how to relieve your release your periosteum, um, I don't think that you should go into very complex grafting. I think you should start small and just take baby steps to go bigger. Because when a graft exposes, um, it's, it's not a nice thing. You know, you put so much effort into it and it's expensive as well. Uh, for somebody that was going uh, into implant dentistry, I mean, how, how long or how many cases do you think you need to get under your belt before 
you start to think about moving on to something more complex. Maybe it's not something you could put a number on, but... Yeah, so I used to think that there was a number on this. <laughs> so I always thought, okay, when I get to 50 cases, uh, I will be experienced. Um, then I got to 50 cases and I thought, I'm still learning from every single case. And I have to say, if you really scrutinize your procedures, after every single placement, I have learned something new. So I don't think... I don't think that you can say I need to place X amount of implants. Yes, you need to. I think you need to be around a hundred to be able to undertake more complex protocols and procedures. Um, but I think it's it's about knowing how to get out of difficulty and how to think. Just like with normal dentistry, if something doesn't go according to plan, do you know why and do you know how to go around it? And I think if it, when you don't feel stressed about something and you know how to apply logical thinking based on what you know. Um, I think that's a sign that you are competent and you can actually progress. You've plateaued yeah. after roughly that sort of number of cases and you can deal, you've seen all the complications yeah, exactly. that you're likely to see with those sorts of cases. because yeah, sometimes you, I will have a, uh, I remember when I was uh, working with a mentor, uh, the way I worked with a mentor was that I, we would start with straightforward, go for complex and advanced um, after a while. And in between I would have uh, maybe a straightforward case um, and suddenly it becomes a really complex case because the patient or because the adjacent root is not the way it looked on the x-ray. Or there are always things that can make things complicated. Tell me more about the importance of working with a good mentor. Yeah, so I, uh, um, again, I worked with a mentor for a long time um, and I still occasionally work with a mentor when I come across something very complicated and I just need that support. Um, I think you need to find someone you're very comfortable with um, because the chemistry is important. And I don't think it's good to change mentors. I think it's good, to, in a way, it's good to see how other people work. But in another way, you need someone who understands your ability, who can actually push you when you need to be pushed and can also stop you when you need to be stopped. So they, uh, I had many times when my mentor, you know, he, he, he told me, you, you know how to do this, do it. And you, need, you need that push sometimes. Sometimes you yeah, just need course. that push, exactly. And, there were, and you need someone who really, really wants you to learn, who's not in it for themselves, who, who has a genuine interest in teaching. And is obviously experienced as well. Sure. Um, and I suppose just to wrap things up, Militia, you, know, you sort of talked about your, your, your journey there. So looking back, um, particularly thinking about maybe your first implant, or if you can't necessarily remember the first one, the first few, um, what were the main concerns that you had and what really gave you the confidence to take that first step to place your first implant? Yeah, so I used to work in a practice where most of my patients were partially edentulous. Um, so I thought I have to do this and um, I had never, I, I had extracted one tooth in my undergraduate education because in Sweden people don't have their teeth removed. So it's very difficult. So my surgical experience was very limited. Really, only one extraction. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I um, exactly. So in in Sweden, I extracted maybe one tooth every two weeks. Well, that's just because the oral hygiene is so yeah, good in the population. <laughs> People go regularly and things like that. So it's very different. Um, so I didn't do much surgical training, and then I ended up in this practice, and um, there was a there was a scope for implantology. So I thought I'll try it out. I did a little certificate course and um, in that course we could actually treat patients. So that was really good. So I, I had an introduction to it. But I don't really remember much of it because it was 
it was very long. Uh, I didn't do a lot myself, um, again, because of my limited surgical experience. But I loved it, you know, it was really nice to see the result in the end. Uh, so then I went ahead with the MSc, I did an MSc, and then uh, probably five years of mentoring. So after 10 years, um, I, you know, I'm, it's, it's taken a long time. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and looking back at those first cases, maybe the first cases yeah. where you were, you were placing rather than necessarily observing, um, looking back, is there anything that you'd say now, I wish I'd done that differently? Um, I don't think so because I, I've always pre-planned everything, I've always been careful and um, I've combined theory with practical knowledge. Um, but if I, if I really scrutinise it, I would probably say that the ones that I've spent the most time planning um, are the ones that have felt the best when I placed the implants because I know the site, I know the factors. Uh, whereas it's quite easy once you have placed quite a few implants to just say, oh, this is a straightforward case, I know how to do this. Um, it's, you, you never have that, the same control as you do when you write a report about a patient and you really look at every factor. Um, so that's, uh, for someone starting out, I would recommend just spend a lot of time planning. I think that's a, that's a great point to, to wrap things up on, actually, Malicia. So, look, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to speak to you today. I hope those of you listening found the tips and approach to implants and GBR that have proved successful for militia, really valuable. So from Newnham Dental Practice here in Eli, that's it for today's podcast. Join us again next time. Great, thank you so much. Thank you, Militia. <laughs>